What's going on? Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It is heard live every day from noon to three on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content like invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with all the links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. Make sure you hit the subscribe button. Get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And again, thank you so much for your support. So apparently the Biden administration is going to... um, Try to convince Russia to enter into a ceasefire on Ukraine. Uh, I'm sorry. They're going to try to convince Ukraine to ceasefire on Russia. No, hang on a second. My bad. Totally different place. They're talking to, okay, they're going to want, so apparently the, uh, the Biden administration is going to the United Nations Security Council to force a temporary ceasefire on Israel by Hamas. No, wait, hang on. Sorry, wrong again. It Okay, now I have it right. No, they want Israel to stop. They want a ceasefire by Israel. Okay. The administration uh, has a proposal, a, dra- a draft, to the UN Security Council resolution, which in part would call for a temporary ceasefire and call on Israel not to go into Rafah in the Gaza Strip. Um. According to Reuters, the U.S. text states in part that it determines that under current circumstances, a major ground offensive into Rafah would result in further harm to civilians and their further displacement, including potentially into neighboring countries. Richard Goldberg, a former NSC official during the Trump administration, told Fox News Digital, quote, the United States should be vetoing pro-Hamas resolutions, not proposing them. By putting forward a resolution calling for a ceasefire and opposing Israeli military action in Rafah, the White House is effectively uh, pushing for Hamas to survive to massacre another day. This is a complete betrayal of U.S. interests and values. A senior administration official speaking to Reuters on condition of anonymity said, quote, we don't believe a rush to a vote is necessary or constructive and intend on allowing time for negotiations. The Jewish state has so far opposed President Biden's attempt to have it uh, be destroyed. Um, I'm kidding. The, okay, yeah, no, that, that's not what the Fox News report said. It says uh, the Jewish state has opposed President Biden's attempts to torpedo its slated seizure of Rafah, where one of the last bastions of Hamas terrorists and hostages, including Americans, by the way, are believed to be located. On Friday, President Biden made clear his feelings about Israel going into Rafah, telling reporters... And then he tripped over some steps. He said he was hoping the Israelis will not make a massive land invasion. Richard Goldberg. He's a senior advisor at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. He previously served as a a senior U.S. Senate aide, National Security Council official, and U.S. Navy Reserve intelligence officer. And he has a very, very lengthy piece at commentary.org, Commentary Magazine. Um, take you like 20 minutes to read through the whole thing. I'm not going to read through the whole thing. I'm going to give you the highlights because that's what I do. I am a giver. I read all of these things so you don't have to. And I bring you the highlights of it. So you can sound, you know, as informed as I am, which is not very. Anyway. Uh, but maybe more than the people that you're hanging out with, which is really all that's important, right? That's the key. Is like you don't have to be the the you don't have to be the smartest person. Just don't be the dumbest. You don't have to be the fastest. Just don't be the slowest. You know, it's kind of that principle. Anyway, 
What comes next in Gaza? That's what Goldberg is asking. What comes next in Gaza? For the Biden administration, this question has invited fantasies of a renewed path to the ever-elusive two-state solution. Right? A Palestinian authority governing a unified West Bank and Gaza Strip, which, by the way, are on are on opposite sides of Israel. So, like Israel splits these two territories in half. So, like this idea that you're going to have the Palestinian Authority that that governs these two different areas as a unified thing, like that didn't happen the last time. The last time they held an election, Hamas won, and then they started murdering the Palestinian Authority people, who then fled over to the West Bank which is not on the western side of Israel. It's on the western side of Jordan. That's why it's called the West Bank of the Jordan River. On the other side of that river is an Islamic country that won't take the Palestinians in. Anyway, task task forces and blue ribbon commissions probably are going to follow these big ideas for Gaza's future right now being cooked up behind closed doors in D.C., But allowing the Washington establishment to paint a foreign policy on a blank canvas, mapping the relations between Israel and the Arabs surrounding it, is a risky proposition that will, as it always has in the past, fail, right? Because of course it will. I just, the the hubris, the narcissism and arrogance required to think that we could come up with these answers for you. If Washington and Jerusalem share some sort of objective of, you know, how this looks after this is all over, after the war is over here. Of a Gaza Strip that can never again pose a terror threat to Israel. And Biden has said that we do share this objective with with Israel. Then the question about the future needs to be reframed. Instead of asking what comes next, leaders in both of the capitals should be asking what can't come next. What cannot come next? If you start answering that question, then you start creating guardrails. You start establishing the parameters for the path forward. And that would also then kind of carve out the uh, ingredients for policy failure. Like, this is what we don't want to have. For example, um, no Hamas. You got to start there, right? No Hamas. This is you guys wanted Hamas. You voted in Hamas. We left Hamas alone, and that's what. And this is what we got. And you know, I know a lot of people don't want to hear about the atrocities, but you know, details of what occurred on October seventh have been continuously been coming out over the last two months. And uh, people don't want to. He- people in America do not want to hear these details. They're horrific. They are absolutely horrific. And media not reporting on them allows uh, the uh, the pro-Hamas factions and activists that are out there and the, the communists, the neo-Marxists who are, because I always say this, right? This is James Lindsayism. James uh, James Lindsay says the issue is never the issue. The issue is always the revolution. That's when you understand that concept, all of these issues become very, very clear as how collectivists, neo-Marxists use uh, anything, any issue as it comes down the pike. It all becomes an example of oppressor, oppressed, 
uh, uh, dynamics, right? You view the issue as uh, as one of oppression. You find out who are the bad guys, who are the good guys, and always the bad guys are the free market capitalists, of course, Western civilization, right? They're always the bad guys. They're always the oppressors. That's how you end up with the people who invaded Israel, right, and slaughtered innocent women and children, murdering them while, you know, making family members watch as you assault people in their homes while killing them. Stuff like that. And the sheer joy and elation that's on the faces of these monsters as they're doing it. Videotaping it. Celebrating it. Bragging about it. Right? Hamas doesn't get to come back. That's what can't happen. That's first. First and foremost, you guys either surrender or die. That's it. Those are the options. Sorry. Look, I don't like it any more than you. But um, that's what happened after October 7th. That's the bed you made. So Gaza has no future with Hamas or other terrorist groups involved. Number one, Richard Goldberg writing at Commentary Magazine, commentary.org, says uh, if we're looking at, you know, what's going to come next in Gaza, you got to look at, you should answer a question instead or ask the question and then answer it, uh, what can't come. First, Gaza has no future with Hamas or another terrorist organization involved in it. Unimaginative naysayers and Hamas apologists will try to persuade us that there is no military solution, only a political one. That is a lie. That is a lie that Israel's military can expose if it is given the opportunity to finish the job. Adding conditions to American security assistance to Israel should not be deemed a worthwhile thought, as President Biden claimed over the Thanksgiving weekend. It's a proposal aimed at delegitimizing Israel's right to defend itself that would lead logically to the eventual annihilation of the Jewish state, which is exactly what Hamas and the Palestinian Authority and Islamists want, and a lot of the leftists around the world. This is what they want, the elimination of the Jewish state. And it's interesting, it's always been interesting to me, this whole question, because uh, Israel was created by words, Right. That was and, and since then, by actions, by fighting and all of this. But throughout history uh, and, you know, as Rush used to say, uh, the world is governed by the aggressive use of force. And that's correct. Right. Th- that's what you know, that's what the patriarchy is. No. Right. Guys come in and they take or they or they protect. They injure or they protect. And, you know, these enforcers, I was watching a podcast the other day, and this, I forget who it was, was talking about law enforcement. You know, the courts don't enforce law. Somebody with a gun does, right? Somebody who has the physical ability to make you do something you don't want to do. And that is at a global scale as well. If I wanted your land, I come in with my pals, my army, and we take your land by force. And then, oh, no, you can't take the land. You can't take the land by force. So now what? Now Hamas comes over, tries to take back the land by force, and they're unsuccessful, which follows a long pattern of 
unsuccessful attempts to take the land from the Jews. So now Israel is going to eradicate Hamas. And I've said from the beginning, I have no problem with this. I, re- I, I have no problem. What about the civilians? Yeah, and that's on Hamas. That's, all the civilian casualties are their fault. That's how that works. All right. Do the current world events have you wondering whether we are teetering on the edge of catastrophe? Are you concerned it's going to reach our shores? Okay. So what are you doing about your concerns? Let me help. Carolina Readiness Supply at carolinareadiness.com. Whether you're looking to expand your emergency preparedness supplies or you have no idea where to even begin, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. Food, water purifiers, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies even because being prepared is just smart carolina readiness supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you'll need for any kind of emergency in waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com veteran-owned carolina readiness supply will you be ready when the lights go out going over this piece at commentary magazine um after hamas is destroyed here are the five things that must not happen in gaza it's written by richard goldberg And um, he says, you know, first off, Hamas uh, ain't coming back. No terror group gets to be involved in whatever happens in Gaza afterwards. Um, Assuming that Israel stays the course, Hamas is going to lose control of Gaza and its tunnels are going to be destroyed. Its leadership eliminated. But Jerusalem and Washington are still going to need to prevent its supporters from finding a path back to power through Western supported mechanisms. Those who pushed Israel in 2006 into accepting Palestinian elections that included Hamas should not repeat their mistakes. Second, Israel cannot repeat the mistake of unilaterally abandoning security control of Gaza. No single policy decision looms larger over the events of October 7th than the decision of the former Prime Minister Ariel Sharon in 2005 to disengage militarily from Gaza. And that's... It's not going to be fun, right? Border security measures are going to be required along the Mediterranean coast. It's a blockade. Right? Along the Egyptian border, going to have to secure that, lock that down. Iran cannot be permitted to succeed in smuggling weapons and operatives into Gaza from Egypt or the Mediterranean Sea. And that's going to require strict conditions on aid to Egypt from us, which will put unprecedented pressure on Egypt to work with Israel to keep its Gaza border secure. Do you know that they have buried that Egypt, there the, at the Rafah crossing there, Egypt has walls that go down like 40 feet into the ground? So the Palestinians can't tunnel through? Third, no country that ever sponsored or provided safe harbor to Hamas can be allowed any role in Gaza's future. Qatar! Excuse me. Yeah, primarily, that rules out Qatari and Turkish involvement. You guys take all of the seats. Just take them all. You're out. Doha in Qatar and Ankara in Turkey. Sorry, Turkey. I think is how they pronounce it now. Right? They are ideological allies of Hamas and the Muslim Brotherhood. 
Their decades-long financial, political, and media support for the Islamist radicalization of Gaza should be met with international sanctions and condemnations, not invitations to donor summits and diplomatic roundtables. Qatar, in particular, has a long history of supporting radical Islamists in the Middle East. Doha played host to 9-11 mastermind Khalid Sheikh Mohammed in the 1990s. The Qatari interior minister even helped Khalid Sheikh Mohammed escape U.S. arrest before 9-11. U.S. officials in 2014 identified Qatar as a, quote, permissive jurisdiction for financing ISIS and a Syrian affiliate of al-Qaeda named the al-Nusra Front. Um, Qatar led the charge to defy an international embargo when Hamas came to power. When Hamas needed a new home for its Damascus-based leaders at the height of the Syrian civil war, Qatar offered to pay Arab countries like Jordan to host Hamas. You get in the picture here? Qatar, not friend. Not friend. Number four. No political party or governing authority that pledges to destroy Israel, promotes terrorism against Israel, or pushes economic warfare against Israel can be a part of post-Hamas Gaza. And that means the Palestinian Authority is out. No friend. Put simply, the Oslo-era experiment of the Palestinian Authority, which, if you don't know, was created in the negotiations that led to the return of Yasser Arafat from exile. Right, they brought him back. Thanks a lot, Bill Clinton. That has proven to be a complete and utter failure. And finally, what cannot happen? International organizations that promote anti-Semitism or incitement against Israel or that are complicit in Hamas war crimes and that fail to submit their staff and contractors to U.S. counterterrorism vetting they're not, they can't help build a better future for Gaza. You're out too. United Nations Relief and Workers Agency, that's you. The UNRWA, members of whom, or which, members of which, participated in the October 7th attacks that held Israeli hostages, right? These, quote, UN workers... UN, one UN agency bears the greatest responsibility for enabling and subsidizing Hamas while indoctrinating a generation of Palestinians to commit a massacre of Jews like the one on October 7th, and that is the UNRWA, UNRWA. The people of Gaza are not refugees. Four generations of them uh, have literally been born there, and treating them like refugees both lowers their standard of living and supports a political narrative that Palestinians will one day push the Jews into the sea. Since the UN views Hamas and Islamic Jihad and Hezbollah and a host of other U.S.-designated terrorist organizations as political groups, the UNRWA does not prohibit what Washington would deem to be terror affiliations among its employees. You get that? So UNRWA hires people who have affiliations with these terrorist organizations and they're allowed to do so the schools where palestinian kids are taught to hate and kill jews with literally lessons on it and like they do recreations of suicide bombings and stuff and like yeah you you got to pay attention because the instructor is only going to do that once 
sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. That's. But this is what they teach their kids from a very early age. We're talking, you know, pre-K level. They, they got them all dressed up with the fake suicide vests and stuff. They, 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 they do mock martyr funerals and such, and they put it on TV. They have, they have little, like, cartoonish, you know, people dressed up in uh, costumes and stuff. Like, you would think it's a kid's show, and it is a kid's show. They air it for kids, and it's all death to the Jews. Their entire society, their culture is all kind of focused on death to the Jews. And the UNRWA is part of that. Hamas established its terror tunnel network right under their facilities. So UNRWA, you guys are out. You're done. So those are the five things that Richard Goldberg says um, must not happen in Gaza after this is all over. That's at commentary.org. All right. Hey, maybe you have heard by now DraftKings Sportsbook is coming to North Carolina. It's coming soon. On March 11th, to be exact, DraftKings is one of America's top-rated sports books with same-game parlays, money lines, and props. The best features like odds boost and live betting and social betting groups where you can share your bets with your friends in real time. DraftKings is safe, it's secure, and reliable, and best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. And it all starts on March 11th. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and then place your bets on your favorite sports once it goes live. And again, it goes live on March 11th. And now here's the disclaimer. Gambling problem? Call 877-718-5543 or visit morethanagame.nc.gov. 21 plus, North Carolina only. Eligibility restrictions apply, subject to regulatory licensing requirements. And see terms at draftkings.com slash sportsbook slash nc. All right, so uh, the New York Post, in a piece by Miranda Devine, Headline, Joe Biden's dangerous, cynical Iran concessions prove that his concern is 2024 re-election and not America's safety. It's a pretty lengthy headline, I know. But the catastrophic consequences of Biden's decision to lift the sanctions on Iranian oil sales, that's what gave Tehran billions of dollars to arm the enemies of Israel and America. This was the catalyst for the October 7th attack on Israel. And... The subsequent turmoil that resulted in last week's drone attack on a U.S. base in Jordan that killed three U.S. soldiers. And who knows what other misery to come. I saw that uh, uh, the Houthis, uh, they, they sunk a British ship. According to the woman who impersonates a White House press secretary, they died fighting for this administration, quote unquote. That's what apparently Corinne Jean-Pierre said. I had not heard that. That's outrageous. But um, the reason for Biden's dangerous Iran concession was utterly cynical, she says. It was driven by the domestic political calculation that he needed to lower the price of oil, which has which was, you know, skyrocketing. So how do you limit the price of oil? How do you reduce it? It's it's a supply issue. Okay, so increase the supply. So you do that in order to get the voters behind you. Right. That's the idea. In order to regain some of your lost approval ratings, the president would rather we buy oil from terrorists, basically, than, you know, than to increase our own oil uh, production, because that's what he's been doing. He lifted sanctions on the commies in Venezuela as well. The reason he had to turn to global pariahs like Iran and Venezuela is because he had needlessly alienated Saudi Arabia. Remember this? 
over Khashoggi, remember? Because Donald Trump was a little too close to the Saudis. Donald Trump went over to Saudi Arabia and they did some big event and they had like swords around and they were flinging them all around and stuff, remember? And then Khashoggi got assassinated. He got like chopped up and stuffed into a suitcase at some Saudi embassy. And so Joe Biden, in order to what? To talk tough? Ah, give me all what for, you know, got that's what Joe Biden does. And so he had to attack Trump for this thing that he wasn't tough on the Saudis. The Saudis then could no longer be relied on to pump more oil because he had called them a global pariah. And so now they were like, well, okay, we're not going to pump as much oil then because Biden was was outraged over the murder of Khashoggi, this this dissident and whose murder had become sort of, the, as Miranda Devine calls it, a boutique cause in fashionable D.C. circles. Why? Because he wrote a couple columns for the Washington Post. Biden trash-talked the Saudis and insulted the crown prince so he could play act at being a human rights activist. But if he was actually a human rights activist, then why does he suck up to China? I think that's a fair question. He was so hell-bent on snubbing the Saudis and pandering to Iran that when he got into the Oval Office, he postponed a scheduled arms sale to the Saudis, ended U.S. support for the Saudi war against the Houthis in Yemen, and he removed the Houthis' terrorist designation, which has worked out fantastic. Soon enough, oil prices skyrocket, inflation skyrockets, Biden is now forced to go hat in hand to the Saudis, and please, sir, pump more oil. But he couldn't quite bring himself to shake the crown prince's hand. Remember, he did the fist bump. And so the Saudis were like, you know what? We're going to go hang out with uh, Winnie the Pooh over here in China. Xi Jinping. And now Iran's friends, like the Houthis, are hijacking commercial ships in the Red Sea and firing missiles and kamikaze drones at U.S. warships, while other Iran-backed militias have been attacking U.S. bases in Iraq and in Syria and in Jordan Biden is hampering U.S. production of oil because he needs the climate activist vote, right? Letting terrorists and communists pump oil for us to buy and wasting a trillion dollars to suppress the oil price and prop up the markets is all for one thing. It's to get him reelected. It's a mirage. She goes on to say, what kind of a president would sacrifice national security and the welfare of America for base political advantage. What kind of president would enrich the world's greatest sponsor of terrorism to bring oil prices down so he didn't lose an election? The same kind of president who would doom the Afghanistan withdrawal by demanding the symbolic razzle-dazzle of a September 11th pullout and the nonsensical closure of Bagram Air Base. And then, when it all fell apart, call the mission a success. The same kind of president who would paint himself as Mr. Empathy. Uh, my son, Bo, he died, fill in the blank. Mr. Empathy, but too busy looking at his watch on the tarmac at Dover Air Base to pay his respect to the 13 service members who died in the chaos of the Afghanistan withdrawal. Same kind of president whose fantasy self-image as a compassionate humanitarian caused him to fling open the southern border. Right? No concern for the, the abuses that the people down there are suffering either. 
All right, that'll do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I could not do the show without your support and the support of the businesses that advertise on the podcast. So if you'd like, please support them too and tell them you heard it here. You can also become a patron at my Patreon page or go to thepetecalendarshow.com. Again, thank you so much for listening and uh, don't break anything while I'm gone. 